0: Hello, and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Carolyn Olson. Carolyn is the Executive Director and Co-Founder of Fostering Youth Independence, a program based in Santa Clarita, California. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you so much for joining our podcast series. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. How are you doing?
0: Well, <laughs> interesting you ask. I actually am on the tail end of COVID. So for those of you who listen to my podcast regularly, you might notice my voice isn't quite the same, but I'm on the mend, so thankfully to say. But thank you for asking. Sure. I'm glad you're on the mend. Well, I am looking forward to finding out about your organization, Fostering Youth Independence or FYI. But before we get started there, I'd like to find out a little bit more about yourself and your background, so you mind sharing a little bit about your path and how it brought you to the foster care system?
1: Sure. Well, I'm originally from the East Coast, moved to California in 1984. And I originally started out, my career was in banking. I was a business major in college and worked in the banking industry and then took a long maternity leave. <laughs> Stayed home to raise my three children until the last one went off to college and then wondered, what am I going to do next? And During that time, I had met my friend Gina Stevens, our sons played on the high school volleyball team together, and at the time, she was fostering two teenagers in addition to raising her own four biological children, and she really introduced me to the foster care world and some of the challenges faced by teenagers who are getting ready to become adults and the specific challenges that they face as foster youth. And then fast forward a few years, in 2016, I became a volunteer with CASA of Los Angeles. So a CASA, for those who don't know, is a court-appointed special advocate, went through a training program, and was appointed by a judge to advocate for a 17-year-old foster youth, a young woman who was living in a group home. And that was a truly eye-opening experience for me, more education than I could have gotten probably in any other way, because I was in court with her at least every six months, meeting with social workers, you know, just a firsthand exposure to the whole world of foster care, and then helping her with her challenges of, you know, she wanted to go to college, but had no idea how to go about it. She needed to find housing after she turned 18 years old. And so going through all that, I thought, wow, there's a lot of information out here, even about attending college, like, In California, foster youth can attend any community college for free. And then in addition to that, they're eligible for Pell Grants and a state grant that's called a Chafee Grant. So there's resources available, but without assistance, they don't know where to find those resources, how to apply for them. And as a result, a lot of youth don't access what's available to them. So in 2017, my friend Gina, who had introduced me to foster care originally, she and I got together and said, you know what? CASA is awesome. And I'm a big advocate for CASA, so I don't want to take away from that. But we felt that people in our community would become involved in a different way, similar to CASA, but not as intensively. And if they even knew what the need was. So we kind of patterned ourselves according to that idea of one adult helping out one youth, kind of like what CASA does. Only without driving across the whole county and filing court reports and all of that. So (laughs) that was kind of how the idea was born. We enlisted our friend Stacy, who had been a public health nurse, placing medically fragile foster children and coordinating their care. And she joined us in starting up FYI, and it just got rolling. We got a lot of input from other executive directors, people at our child welfare system, which in LA is called DCFS, Department of Children and Family Services. And before you know it, we were incorporated. We had our nonprofit status and we started training our volunteers who we call allies and we started doing intakes with youth. So that's kind of how I got into
0: <laughs> the foster care world. I love that you started off in a, in a more formal role as a CASA volunteer. I love CASA as well. I'm a big proponent. They are all over the country. I think they might not be in maybe. A couple of states, but generally they're in almost every state. Personally, I think that social workers, if they're interested in working in child welfare, it would be an amazing thing to do at the start of their career, I think, is to be a CASA worker and get that experience. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if they'd have the time to do it, <laughs> yeah. but I think it would be a great opportunity for them to learn.
1: Yeah. What's beautiful about the CASA role is that the CASA focuses on only one child or youth, whereas the social workers have 25 to 30 youth in their caseloads and the attorneys have more and the judges have more. So to really be able to hone in on one youth and what his or her needs are is invaluable, in my opinion. Plus, one thing that will always stick with me is one time I went to go meet with my youth at the group home where she was living. And it was a high security facility. So you had to get buzzed in and go through locked doors and all that kind of thing. And so while I was entering, one of the other young women came up to me and she asked me if I was the youth's mom. And I said, no, I'm her CASA. And she said, oh, kids who have CASAs are the luckiest kids And my heart kind of broke because I thought, I want you to have a class too. (laughs) I want everyone in here to have one person who will just come and visit them and dedicate their time to them and listen to what they need and what their goals are. And so really that was,
0: I would say, a motivator in starting FYI. If you don't mind me doing a plug here, we're going to be putting out a new online course at the start of this year, probably by the end of the first quarter. And the title is, What is CASA? And it is a course really explaining what CASA does and the benefits that the program provides. So I'll put that out there for everybody. So you can look for that.
1: Okay, I will. (laughs) I actually continued with CASA for five years. And so it overlapped Ah. with starting FYI. But eventually I got to the point where being the executive director of this organization was taking up too much of my time for
0: me to also serve as a CASA. So yeah. But it was a phenomenal experience. I did have a question about something you mentioned. You used the term allies is what you call your mentors. Yes. And I'm curious because I've talked to a lot of mentor programs and it's the first time I've heard that particular term used. And so I'm curious why you chose that as the name for your mentors?
1: Well, that's a great question. And it's something that we spent a lot of time on. <laughs> I look back and Gina and Stacey and I used to be in my living room. We had a whiteboard on an easel and we would just you know, write things down. And so we were trying to decide what we would call our mentors. We didn't want to use the mentor because at least with the youth who we had worked with, mentor almost had a little bit of a negative connotation. A mentor was somebody who had been assigned to them by DCFS and somebody they were forced to meet with and somebody who kind of told them what to do and somebody was over them. And we said, we don't want to give the impression that this person is over the youth. We want them to understand this is a person who's going to come alongside you side by side and be an advocate for you and someone who's going to guide you and encourage you and support you. So we threw a bunch of things on that whiteboard, you know, friend. I forget what (laughs) what kind of things we put up there. And, and ally was the one that stuck and it's turned out to be a very good word to describe the role. So we're glad that we chose it.
0: Yeah. I like it too. I've always thought, and don't get me wrong, I like the term mentor in general. It communicates, I think, generally what people are trying to get it to communicate, but it does have its, the little bit of risk there as to how it might be taken the wrong way. Yeah. But I've always thought of mentors as somebody you choose, right? Like you're saying, somebody is my mentor because I admire them and I want to follow in their footsteps or learn from them. Right. So I've always thought of a mentor as somebody the individual chooses for themselves. I see. So that's a different perspective it as well. Is. Yeah.
1: It's different when you're being assigned a mentor and you don't have a choice. Yeah.
0: yeah, It would be interesting to do a survey and see what the, all the different terms that people use for that role yeah. of a volunteer who's working alongside a youth. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for sharing your journey there to FYI. And when did FYI start? In 2017. 2017. Okay. So that was a quick turnaround after you were working with CASA. I know it was.
1: (laughs) Once they were determined, we're very passionate. We're very, um, I don't know, determined and driven to make a change. When you see, I don't know, for me, I felt like I kind of led a sheltered life as far as foster care is concerned. And once my eyes were opened, it's not something that I could unsee. It's like, I can't walk away from this. I I got to do something. And the three of us said at the beginning, like, if we could help one person, if we could change one life, then this will have all been worth it. To date, we've served 142 youth. So it's definitely been worthwhile. It was meant to be because all the pieces fell into place. You know, Gina knew an attorney through her foster youth, and she agreed to file our articles of incorporation pro bono. She wrote our bylaws. She was, you know, one of our original board members. I filed for our 501c3 status and it came very quickly. And we had a youth lucky you. Yeah. (laughs) We had a youth who Gina had met over at our local community college and she wanted to be a part of this and help us. So she was kind of our test youth. We, you know, tested out (laughs) our intake process on her. We got lots of feedback from her. So then we started training allies. And it was funny because we just started with our friends and neighbors. And you know, we would tell them at the program, would you like to be an ally? Gina and Stacy wrote the training curriculum. So then my husband said to me, Well, that's great, but where are you going to get the kids from? And I felt like, you know, it was like one of those field of dreams things, right? Like if we build it, they will come. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, <laughs> they started coming. We started getting referrals. Like as soon as we had the allies in place, we started getting the youth referrals. So that's great. Where do you get your referrals from? Well, we have several different sources. Dora Lozano is the foster youth liaison at our local community college, which is called College of the Canyons. And I met her probably in January of 2017 we were, when this idea was just percolating. And she was so encouraging. She's like, you've got to do this. Go for it. And so she referred youth to us. There was a social worker. There's an independent living program through DCFS. And there was an ILP coordinator named Dee. She referred youth to us at the beginning and we got a couple of youth referred from a social worker at our local high school district. But then the interesting thing was, as we started adding youth, we started getting more referrals from the youth themselves. And that's been really a wonderful thing for us because what better compliment you know than for your youth to bring their friends in to bring their siblings in? we have several sibling sets in our program which we love because these are youth who've been separated you know raised in different foster homes and now they can be part of fyi together they can come to our events together we have a study place program every monday and thursday that they can come to together so that's been really heartwarming to be part of
0: My sister and I were in foster care together, and thankfully we were able to stay together. I'm very glad of that. So what ages do you work with?
1: When the youth enter our program, they're between the ages of 16 and 25. However, we don't kick anybody out on their 26th birthday. We encourage our youth to stay in the program until they've reached their academic goals or age 30, whatever comes first unlike other agencies or systems, we don't have a hard date or age by which they have to leave the program. Another thing that's a little bit different with us is that we do have minors in our program. I know other programs start admitting youth at the age of 18 for a whole host of reasons, which I understand, but we believe that the youth who come to us at age 16 or 17 have more opportunity to know what their options are after they graduate from high school and maybe would have be less likely to make some of the slip ups and have some of the setbacks that the older youth have when they come in. So we live scan all of our allies, whether they're working with minors or not. So what is that phrase again? Live scan. So basically they go to get fingerprinted and it's electronic. We don't run the background checks, but Department of Justice runs the background checks against their databases. And then we know that our allies are screened
0: when they come to us. Okay. So you have to have some cooperation from group homes and or foster parents as well then. Yes. To have the younger participants either transported or, you know, their availability and so forth. Yes. Yes, that's true. We do try to work.
1: I mean, we have mostly 18 and over youth in our program, but the younger youth, their foster parents are very appreciative of our program and we have one foster home here in Santa Clarita where it's a large piece of property and she does it, this woman does it with her sister and they tend to house a lot of youth there. And so when she has a new youth come to her home, she immediately calls and (laughs) (laughs) when can I get an appointment to bring them over to FYI? So the foster parents know that we provide a lot of support and that helps them too.
0: Yeah, sure. Now, do you have a physical location where The youth can come and gather and even meet each other, spend time together? Or is it really primarily the youth being paired with a mentor and then they do their thing?
1: Well, we do have a physical location. And that was a very exciting development because at the beginning, we worked out of our homes. And then to meet a youth for an intake, we would have to arrange something, you know, go to a Starbucks or a local coffee shop or someplace, you know, even some churches had meeting rooms that we could go to. And then we met someone at a meeting where we were attending, and she was on staff at a local church, Christ Lutheran Church, which happens to be across the street and maybe a half a mile from the community college where most of our youth attend. And we asked her, is there any way the church would allow us to use a Sunday school classroom or some space that you're not using during the week? So we got permission. This was probably back at the end of 2018, I would have to check. But at any rate, they donated a room to us rent-free. And so that's been our office space ever since. And then in addition, they've got this fantastic fellowship center that we use for our events. And they don't charge anything for us to use it. And then we also have a program called the Study Place. We launched it as a response to the COVID pandemic. Because when our local schools went remote and all the learning switched to online, our youth really struggled. And I know that they weren't alone in that. I know a lot of students struggled, but for our students in particular, most of them didn't have a laptop computer. They didn't have wifi where they were living. And then they lost their academic support through the tutoring services and resources that were available on their campuses. So we actually got funding through the city of Santa Clarita to start this program in the first year, 2020, 2021, It was three afternoons a week. Now we've cut it back to two afternoons a week. It's Monday and Thursdays. We provide lunch. We have homework assistance. We have free tutoring. And it's a way for youth to study. We help them, you know, just figure out their schedules, look at their syllabus, find out when things are due, help them with some study skills. And it's also a place just for them to connect with each other. And we've overheard some amazing conversations come out of those gatherings, just youth commiserating and talking about how they got where they are. And even though their stories are different, they all have commonalities and things that
0: are relatable to one another. I imagine.
1: Yeah. And is that
0: in the church as
1: well? It is. It's in the fellowship center. So like I said, the city of Santa Clarita funded that program. So they do fund some rent expense for that. So we do pay for those two afternoons a week. Yeah. Otherwise, all of our use of the campus is completely free, which is- amazing because we can use our resources to directly help the youth versus spending a lot of money on overhead.
0: That's excellent. Do the mentors get involved with the tutoring as well, or is that primarily you and staff?
1: They can. It kind of depends. So we have one ally and he's retired and he's very good at math. And so he often will meet his youth at the study place and help him. It just kind of depends. It's a little Different for every situation. Not all the allies are comfortable with tutoring in <laughs> college subjects. And then we have tutors who love to help out in that way, but don't necessarily want to be allies. So we do have, you know, different
0: roles for different people and what their comfort level is. Okay. I just realized I said mentors again. I have to oh, remember no, it's, it's allies. I know,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's interchangeable.
0: <laughs> so you said you developed your own training curriculum. Mm-hmm. And that's for your allies, right? Yes. What was that based on? I'm thinking of other people who might be interested in building their own curriculum. How did you get the content? Who did you engage who were maybe subject matter experts? I'm just curious how that all worked to help those who might be thinking about that.
1: Yeah. Well, as I mentioned, one of our co-founders, Stacey, Stacey Anton, she was a former public health nurse and has kept up on you know, her continuing education, and she has a lot of background in trauma, and so that was super helpful. And then we also have a volunteer mental health consultant. Her name is Sherry Kelfer, and she formerly taught at USC's School of Social Work, and she's retired from there, and she so loved what we were setting out to do that she wanted to help us however she could. So she has a lot of experience and knowledge about working with foster youth. And so she gave us a lot of valuable input. Not only that, but we have a support program. You might want to call it for allies. We call it Coffee and Conversations. Every other month on a weeknight, we meet together and Sherry leads the discussion. And the allies come with their challenges or successes and their questions and they talk about it and the allies are able to all chime in with their input. An ally will say, well, you know, I was having a problem with my youth responding to me. And so then I tried this. And so it's really good to have that, you know, community conversation and get the feedback. But then also to have Sherry from her perspective as a mental health professional explain why something's happened, you know, explain why youth have difficulty trusting, why it takes a long time to build that relationship for some of the youth and why some of the approaches might not work and others might be better. So yeah, so that all went into the training program, but then it continues as we support our allies. And how many
0: allies do you have right now? Right now we have 75. That's impressive. (laughs) It's impressive But at the same time, it is a little sad that you need that much support for these young people in your area. You say you're um, Los Angeles County? Yes. Yes. I would imagine that might be one of the highest numbers of young people emancipating from foster care in the country. Am I right about that?
1: Well, LA County has the largest child welfare system in the country. So there's between 30 and 35,000 open cases at any given time. It's a huge county geographically, population-wise, and it has a huge foster care system. So, And it's interesting because foster youth are kind of a hidden population we have found. People are always surprised. They're like, oh, because we're in a suburb of LA. We're up in the northern part of the county. And I talked to some people and say, oh, do we have many foster youth in Santa Clarita? I didn't know. Well, a lot of youth, they don't self-identify. There's kind of a stigma with being a former foster kid. Like I said, they're kind of a hidden population, even in the schools we have found. I think it's changed recently, but when we first started doing this, we would go to the local high schools and ask, who are your foster youth? How many do you have? Can you refer them to our program? And they would say, well, we don't really know exactly how many we have because we asked them to (laughs) self-identify. It's like, wait a second. (laughs) You don't get something from this apartment. It says this is how many of our youth are going to school, but so it's been difficult for us that's been one of our frustrations because I mentioned earlier we w- would like to have more of the younger youth join our program so we can start assisting them earlier. but it's been difficult to get the youth referred from the local high schools. It's been more the ones who were already going to our local community college or they haven't started college, but they're friended and it sounds like something that they might want to do. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. The stigma bothers me because one, it's not the youth's fault that they're in foster care. exactly, And it's really the perception that people have, the misinformed perception in most cases that people have of youth in foster care coming out of foster care. And I personally wish that that perspective from the youth point of view, it could change to being proud, you know, kind of like I survived the big bad wolf ride at, you know, the park. I survived foster care and I'm proud of it. Yeah.
1: No, I was surprised. I didn't know about the stigma myself and I had heard about it from our youth when I thought, oh, that can't be true. And then one day I was at the mall and ran into a former neighbor and I told her what I was doing and, oh, it was when I was working with my first youth as a CASA. And I said, "Yeah, she's in foster care." And she said, "Oh, what did she do?" And it, I was so yeah. I was so taken aback. I was like, "She didn't do anything. Her parents couldn't take care of her, you know." And
0: right, right. So
1: that was okay. Now I get it. There is a stigma, <laughs> but
0: yeah, absolutely, there should not
1: be by any means.
0: No, these young people have to deal with so much on top of the trauma of leaving their families, just the trauma they experience being in the foster care system and the things that can happen the, the different moves and oh yeah and even just living the strict lifestyle that sometimes they have to where you know the peers who weren't in foster care are having a lot you know a lot more freedom yes right and they're contained so there's so much that they're going through and they survive and they're resilient yes i don't know what to do <laughs> to change that but hopefully awareness and i think awareness is growing of the challenges these young people face yes I think that can help, but it takes time. Yeah. From the perspective of the young person, when they join your program, what is their experience? What do they go through? In other words, what are the steps that the young person goes through to get into your program and then once they're in and so forth?
1: Okay. Well, one thing I should mention first is that our mission is to equip foster youth to complete a post-secondary education and become successful independent adults. And for us, post-secondary education doesn't have to mean college. It can be a vocational training program, it can be an apprenticeship, it can be a certification program. We feel that for our youth to have the best chances for economic success in life, that they need something more than a high school diploma. So when a youth is referred to us, Gina is our program director, my co-founder, and she usually gets the referral. And so she'll either hear from a youth directly or she'll hear from the person who's referring them. And then she will have a phone conversation with the youth and explain what we offer and then say, there's only a couple of requirements to be in our program. You must have been in foster care sometime after the age of 13, and you must either live or go to school in the Santa Cruz Valley. Some of our youth commute here from outside of this valley, but they go to College of the Canyon, so that would qualify them. And then they have to want some type of of post-secondary education and they have to be willing to have a relationship with a caring adult volunteer. That's it. If they meet those qualifications and they're interested, then Gina schedules an intake appointment. So they come in, they fill out an application. They just tell us a lot about where they are in their journey, where they are living, where they're education wise, just things about them. What's their favorite song? What's their favorite movie? What's their favorite book? What's the best advice anybody ever gave them? I'm shocked when I read these forms because a lot of them are profound. We ask them what their biggest challenge is. We had a youth join a few months ago and he was homeless and he wrote down that his challenge was constant hopelessness. And it broke my heart. But the way that these either able to articulate you know, their challenges and their goals and even, I mean, I couldn't even tell you what the best advice was that somebody ever gave me. The fact that it comes to them and that they can you know, put it to paper, it's really, it's very impressive to me. So anyway, they go through that process, and then we, Gina and the coordinator, we used to call our coordinators case managers, but it sounded too social worky and too clinical, so we just call them coordinators now. They look at who our available allies are, and our allies have also submitted an application and told about their interests, and they've all been interviewed. Then we try to just find a good match based on interests, and sometimes it's geography, sometimes a youth will live a little further away and then we'll find an ally that doesn't live too far from them or you know similar career interests. And then we will schedule a meeting for the youth and the ally to meet and we kind of play a little game where they answer some questions and get to know one another. Then we just sort of send them on their way and the ally's responsible for contacting the youth and scheduling times to get together. And we're always checking in with the youth about, you know, is this a good pairing for you? Do you feel comfortable with this person? And we've had a couple times where it didn't work. So we always encourage the youth. We don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. This isn't working for you. Please let us know why. And it's usually not anything that's a fault of the ally. I mean, we had a situation not long ago where a youth was being raised by his grandparents and his grandpa was very strict. And the ally he was paired with was around the same age as his grandpa. And he was like, I don't need another (laughs) another grandpa in my life. So we'll pair you with somebody younger and, you know, a little bit different. So. (laughs) Yeah, because it's not going to work if the comfort level isn't there. And then at that point, you know, the relationship just develops over time.
0: And is the ally responsible for helping the youth define their goals, helping them achieve, you know, any besides the education? I'm just wondering how broad is their assistance and support of the youth? And do they have milestones that they're expected to help the young person get through?
1: Well, that's a great question, and this is something that has evolved since we started. So when we first started out, we saw the Ally as being more like a casa, and ACASA is a little bit task-oriented, and so we thought the Ally would help with some of the tasks, like help the youth fill out the FAFSA, financial aid application, help the youth fill out their college applications, help them fill out their tax returns. And then we realized that not everybody felt comfortable doing that. And that as we were able to add staff and have coordinators in the office, those were tasks that we could take on. And that really the most important thing that the ally could do was develop a relationship with the youth. So we've kind of taken all of those task-oriented things off of the ally's plate and we've given those to our staff. But the ally is still involved because we have goal meetings every six months. We're actually going through this right now because we do it every January and July. After the youth join our program they sit down with the coordinator and their ally and they come up with goals and not just educational goals, but goals for housing. Are they happy in their current housing situation or is there someplace else they would like to be? Employment, you know, are they looking for a job? What about their financial goals? Do they have a savings account for emergencies? What about transportation? Do they need a driver's license? We talk about physical and dental health because not everybody knows that it's a good idea to go to the dentist every six months and go to get a physical once a year. And then we talk about emotional health and we talk about relationships and how many people do you know over the age of 25 who you can call in case of an emergency. And hopefully the ally will be that person for them at the end of the year, because most of them can't say that they have anybody when they first come to us. So at any rate, come up with these goals. And then every six months, the coordinator and the ally and you'd sit down together and they go over the goals. We really break it down. It's not like we just put down big goals like, you know, my education goal is to get my bachelor's degree and my housing goal is to buy a house in the suburbs. No, we break it down to little steps so that every six months they come in and they can highlight in yellow all the goals that they've achieved and they leave feeling very confident and very accomplished because they are making progress and it's so encouraging for them to see that. So that's kind of how the allies are involved with the goals. And, and, you know, they do help them in between the goal meetings to make progress towards those. But like I said, we've taken a lot of those tasks off of the allies plates and we take care of those in
0: the office. Yeah, that makes sense to me that you've divvied it up like that. Let the mentor focus on the relationship. Mm -hmm. Now, do you provide any training classes for the youth? Your background's in banking, right? Yeah. Finances budgeting? You know. Yeah. So, <laughs> Seems like a natural. Yeah. So it's interesting. So we've sort of built
1: up slowly over the years. When we first started out, Youth Ally was our major focus. And then a few months after we started, we had a back to school event where backpacks and school supplies have been donated. And I think at that time, we only had nine youth in our program. They came and they were all a little shy at first. And by the end of the night, It was almost magical what was happening, the way that they were connecting and relating to each other and exchanging phone numbers. And the three of us looked at each other and said, okay, I think we need to do events. (laughs) So we've done a back-to-school event every summer, the week before school starts. We now combine it with a career fair. So we have speakers come in, presenters from different fields, and they talk about their careers, and then they have a little table set up in the back for more information And then we have Friendsgiving. That's a youth-only event. Oh, I forgot to mention the back-to-school event is for the youth and their allies. Friendsgiving in November is a Thanksgiving celebration, and it's youth-only. Holidays we have our big event in December. Last year our theme was the Grinch. We had a very realistic Grinch. He actually, I think was I think he worked at Universal Studios. (laughs) Oh my (laughs) goodness! Pictures (laughs) on our Facebook. But he was amazing. So again, that's for the allies and the youth they attend that. And then we have another event in the spring, which we now call the Celebration of Everything. We used to have a separate event for volunteer appreciation, which the youth would come to, to thank their volunteers. And then we had a separate one to celebrate graduations and promoting to the next grade. Now we combine those and we call it the Celebration of Everything. And we have that in June. Our events are really wonderful times. So that was kind of something that we added after the Youth Ally Program. Another thing we added right at the beginning was emergency financial assistance. We have funds available because we know emergencies come up and we don't want an emergency to derail a youth's educational plans. We've seen it happen time and time again. Like a youth, their car breaks down and they can't afford the repair. So they decide they're going to drop their classes so they can pick up more hours at work. And we're like, no, 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 we don't want you to drop your classes. So we'll pay for your car repair. So that's really important. And then with our holiday event, we have a holiday wish list program. When the youth come into the office in October to fill out their FAFSA, financial aid form, they're given a wish list and they write down five things that they would like in priority order. And then we collect those and we give them out to people in the community and those people buy those gifts and wrap them and deliver them. And then at our holiday party, each youth is given their bag of gifts. And then... Let's see, you asked about classes and I'm just throwing, I'm getting back to the classes now. I already mentioned the study place. So that was a program that we started for academic assistance. Last year, we started a program called Ready, Set, Drive for the youth who need to get their driver's licenses. And we offer a class where they can come and they watch videos and they do like a game that has practice questions from the written test. And then we will pay for them to get their learner's permit. We'll pay for them to have three behind-the-wheel training classes with a local driver's ed company, and then we'll help them to get to the Department of Motor Vehicles and take their test and pay any of the fees that are required. And we also pay for their first installment of car insurance when they're able to get a car.
0: Yeah, that's a big one because it's really high for young people. Yes,
1: it's very high. And then back to your original question, we just launched our first financial literacy class, which we call Money Matters. (laughs) (laughs) And Bank of America is actually doing that through their community services program. And so they came out last week for the part one. And then next week, they'll be back for part two. And all of the youth who attend both classes get $100 to open a savings account.
0: That's fantastic. You know, our local bank has a program where they support local nonprofits. So I encourage organizations out there to check with your local banks because they might have a program that you would fit right into Mm -hmm. to support with financial literacy types of things. Yes, yeah. Now, I want to back up. You said you help the young people achieve educational goals. It doesn't have to be college. I'm a big believer in the trades Mm -hmm. and encouraging young people to go into the trades. It's going to be a secure career path they're desperate for people to join the trades. And I just feel like you'd always have a job, Yeah, right? If you go in that direction and make some decent money too, if you apply yourself. So I think that's fantastic. But do you partner with any local colleges that have programs that specifically support former foster youth? Because I know in California, that's one of the biggest networks of universities that have programming specifically for former foster youth. So yeah, our
1: local community college, College of the Canyons, they do offer many trade programs. We have a couple of our young men who are working on a welding certificate right now. And we have other local adult schools that have programs. We have a youth who recently completed her pharmacy tech certification and was licensed by the state. We have a couple of other of our youth who are working on a CNA program. And then we have two others who are working on a phlebotomy certificate. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there are local resources for trades. We have a couple of young women who want to do cosmetology school. That's not offered at the community college, but there are other schools in the area that will accept financial aid or they're approved to accept financial aid from the state and the federal financial aid. So we do have some other options available.
0: Oh, good. Well, I know our time is coming to an end here, so I did want to allow a little bit of time to discuss your perspective on what you think the foster care system can improve to better support these young people as they approach aging out or after they've aged out. What do you think for them to be ready for adulthood?
1: So it's interesting in California, and I'm not sure how many states have this type of legislation, but we have a law called AB 12 that was passed. I think in 2010, it went into effect in 2012, and it extends the age of foster care to the youth's 21st birthday if the youth opts to do that. So when they turn 18, they go to court and they have to opt in if they would like to. And what that extension does is it provides them really with housing resources. So- There are some transitional housing programs where they can live and their rent is paid, their utilities are paid, and they get a monthly allowance. And then that way they don't have to worry about paying for housing for three years. Or alternatively, there's a program called SILP, Supervised Independent Living Program, where they find a place to live, a room to rent, or certainly not an apartment in Southern California because the stipend is a little over, I think it's about $1,100 a month. And that gets you maybe half an apartment here if you're lucky. So, <laughs> But at any rate, a social worker goes out and just inspects the place, and then they get the stipend every month. But unfortunately, it does not really prepare youth for what's going to happen when they turn 21. I kind of look at it as instead of falling off the cliff at 18, they're going to fall off at 21. It's frustrating to me because so much could happen during that three-year period to prepare the youth for independent living you know, we see the terrible statistics about homelessness and all that goes along with that. And it's no wonder because the youth really aren't prepared for what to do when those housing payments stop. I think that's where organizations like FYI come in because we are helping these youth with life skills and with getting education while they have that housing support. But I do think that, you know, since you asked about how could the system do better, I do think they could use that time better. I mean, I've, Worked with a couple of youth now who've lived in a transitional housing program. So basically, an agency, not our agency, but another agency like Walden Family Services, they lease apartments through, you know, an apartment complex and then they house two youth. In our valley, they're two-bedroom apartments. So it's two youth in a two-bedroom, two-bath apartment. In other locations, they have studio apartments. And then the agency pays the expenses. The problem is that the youth don't really know how much things cost. Because they don't see the bills. (laughs) And so they don't realize that when I run the air conditioner 24 seven, the electric bill is really high. And here's some things I could do to prevent that. I almost think I was telling a friend of mine recently I almost wish the agency could actually count out the dollars and hand them to the youth, say, you know, this is how much your rent costs, put it in their hands, and then have them give it back. So at least they would have the understanding of how much things cost. Because again, it's just kind of kicking the can down the road by extending the age that they leave care, and it's not really preparing them. So I do think that that's an area where the system could do a better job and where other agencies could really come along and help. Obviously, I'm a believer in nonprofits. There are things that a nonprofit can do that a big bureaucracy either can't do or is, it's not really conducive to doing. So
0: Yeah, yeah. I think right now the foster care system is so big and it's hard to turn a ship Yes, when it's that big. Mm-hmm. Really, the more agile and targeted missions of the nonprofits is the answer. Yeah. So then the question is, how do we get enough nonprofit support out there to fill the gaps wherever it's needed? That's the tough part. right? <laughs> do you incentivize that?
1: Right. <laughs> I'm a big believer in starting where you live, like what we did. And people have asked us, are you going to open more chapters of FYI? Are you going to go into different areas? And my answer is no, because the reason why we've been successful and we've been able to do what we do is because this is where we live. We know our community. We know our resources. We have connections here. We know the service organizations. We know the churches. We can connect with volunteers. We understand our community. How could we go into another community where we don't know the resources? and? Especially if we went into another county, because we've gotten to know the LA County foster care system, I would imagine that other counties and certainly other states have completely different systems and different protocols and things like that. One thing that we said from the beginning is that once we get ourselves established and stable, then we want to help others. We want to put the word out and help other people to start these types of organizations in their community. Maybe they won't have exactly the same mission. Maybe they'll be focusing on housing or transportation or other things or employment, but to help people start where they live and start to help the people in
0: their own communities. I agree. I think that is the best first approach Mm -hmm. for this and encouraging as many people as possible to do that. Or you could even consider, for example, you partnered with a church that had space. Maybe there's a church that has space that says, you know what? Maybe we could start a nonprofit. Or somebody in our congregation can start a nonprofit, and we would provide the space. Right. right. Or it could be a ministry of the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: there's all kinds of possibilities out there. But I think the more that we raise awareness, the more that you do what you're doing, and we do what we're doing, and like you said, just get the word out and let people know what the issue is and that we can all help. Because it's very easy to say, the problem's too big. There's nothing I can do. And that's why we committed at the very beginning. Like If we could help one person, it'll be worth it. Because, yeah, especially our system here in, L- <laughs> in LA County, yeah, you could look at that and say, oh, it's too big, too hard, can't do it. Right. But we can all make a difference.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, I thank you so much, Carolyn, for joining me for this podcast and for sharing about yourself and your organization, Fostering Youth Independence. I have enjoyed hearing about what you do. And, I definitely look forward to hearing how you grow over time, and I'll keep an eye on things. So thank you very much for your time, and I wish you all the best. Thank you very much for talking to me today, and thank you for your support and your encouragement. It really means a lot. Well, you're very welcome. And before we go, I wanted to share one thing to those who are listening, and that is that your organization was one of the award winners in 2022. So I didn't point that out at the beginning, and that's my bad, but I just wanted to let folks know that you are an award-winning organization. It's a peer-judged program, and they selected your organization as being outstanding, and I just wanted to congratulate you on that.
1: Thank you, and thank you so much for awarding us. It really, it means a lot, and it really helps us as an organization to build our capacity. People ask us if we have a limit as to how many youth will accept into our program, and the answer is so far, no. We just, we've never said, sorry, we're full. We can't accommodate anybody else. Somehow we just keep getting what we need to keep growing. And so you're certainly a part of allowing us to do that.
0: So thank you. Well, you're welcome. I'm glad we could. Well, thank you again. And for those who listen to the very end here, thank you very much for listening. We put out a podcast every couple of weeks or so. And this year we're actually going to be adding topic podcasts to our lineup. So not only will we be finding out about great organizations like Fostering Youth Independence, we'll also be bringing together two or three organizations for a conversation about topics that are pertinent to young people aging out of foster care. So look for those coming up. So thank you for listening. Until next time.